Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. on then with 10cc to to the mark ii version um when eric and graham were expanding the band and you had rick and stuart tosh and tony o'malley initially come in um and so initially before you recorded together the five of you uh went out on tour is that right before you recorded bloody tourists yes again looking ahead Mm-hmm. Um, to uh, live work, they had to recruit a new band. Yeah. So um, that that was uh, that was in hand as as we were progressing with the album. Um, each member was interviewed, auditioned, call it what you will. Um, right. And they they got a lineup together, and then. When we went out on tour, that that, that was the the, the, ne- the next album was um, "Live and Let Live." Yeah, right, right. So um, that that was the first outing with the, with the new lineup. Right, and and you, Rick. We spoke to Rick last year, and he said you. I believe it, the connection was you because you'd done some work with Gentlemen. Is that right? think I actually did any gigs with gentlemen um I was going to because uh, their drummer was um, thought he was going to be unavailable yeah I think at the outset he he, he was available but um I, I remember rehearsing with them hmm. um interesting thing about that um a good friend of mine well now he's a good friend of mine Rick Lee mm-hmm. was um uh, gentleman's manager and uh, we first come across Rick in 1974 when 10cc supported 10 years after okay Rick Rick being the drummer of 10 years after right um although I, I never actually met Rick shall we say uh, to speak to mm-hmm. uh, so when when gentleman came along that was where I I met Rick properly and uh, we're the best of buddies today. We meet up every week for lunch. And uh, yes, so gentlemen um, was Rick's introduction to uh, to me. And um, when when they were looking when Ten CC were looking for a guitar player, mm-hmm. I said, "Well, I know, I know this guy. Um, give him a try." Right. So he came along and uh, got the gig. Yeah, fantastic. What did you feel about Stuart Tosh coming in then as a second drummer? I mean, was that was that difficult, or how how did you go about sort of 
getting that musical relationship together with him. I mean that that fell into place naturally. That there was no problem there. Okay. Um, I mean, I was a fan of Pilots. Yeah, fantastic uh, records. Yeah. Yeah, and Stuart. Yeah, Stuart came from the same sort of musical background as me. You know, right? He was into um, not only pop, but he was he was into more progressive sort of stuff as well. So that yeah that that. That worked out really well, right? From my perspective, there were one or two other contenders. Um, I think uh, Bob Benberg from uh, Supertramp, I believe his name was bandied about at one point. Oh yeah, you mean he would have? He was considering leaving Supertramp to come to Tennessee. I, I don't know what the circumstances were, but okay. and I, 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 I don't even know whether he. He came along to to meet the guys. I don't know. Okay, well that's interesting. Wow. Now, now when when the lineup uh, was about to start working on Deceptive Bends and the writing sessions started, um, I note that all the other three new guys, none of whom I think were established as as writers, uh, the other three guys started writing, and I notice you, you don't write. Were you offered that opportunity, and didn't you fancy it, or is it something that you just don't consider yourself a songwriter? Uh, well, this will be after Deceptive Bands. Um, that's, uh, Bloody Taurus, did you say? Yes, yes. Do you, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I've, I've never been a writer. I mean, my, my, my contribution is purely rhythmic. Okay. And as I say, I, I never pre-plan anything. I couldn't sit down and write a drum part. Right. But, I mean, given your keyboard skills, you didn't fancy trying to come up with songs or anything well, I, like that? I used to potter about on a keyboard, but I'd, I'd just hit a brick wall, you know. I only okay. knew what I knew. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, didn't, I didn't have the dexterity to, um, you know, to experiment on you know, in that way. So that must have been a, a hell of a, a, a momentous moment for you, Paul, when you became a, if you like, a a fully paid-up member of 10CC. Well, it was it was Eric and Graham hiring the rest of us, um, as in the originally it was four of them hiring me. Um, I mean, they they ran the show, but yeah. of course it was everybody's contribution. Yeah, I mean, the, with the success of Deceptive Bands, which I think was a, a great relief to Eric and Graham because it proved that they could. You know they they could come up with the goods without Kevin Lowell. Yeah. Um, so of course thing, things were moving forward at a at a great rate. Um, and following the, the the success of the tour, 
um, to to promote deceptive bands. Um, thing, things were, were were moving on very quickly. So right. it was, um, yeah, it was, it was getting more rock and roll by the minute. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, a sort of equipment was arriving like you wouldn't believe. You know, <laughs> the um, the whole stage thing was getting bigger. Um, yeah, light, I think light, lighting rigs were getting bigger. Yeah, it was very and interesting. And the sound. I mean, if you look back to to live and let live. I mean. <laughs> Hell, hell of a live sound. It's a, a completely different sounding band, isn't it, by that stage? Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, technology was, was coming on. Sound, sound equipment was fantastic. And well, right from the outset, with with the Mark One version, that their their PA consisted of um, similar components to to Strawberry. Okay. They had um, those speakers, same speakers. Uh, I think the guy who who built the desk, um, it was based on the on the desk in Strawberry. Similar right. components, so. Um, it was always that that was that was the um, the motivation, you know, to try and get that sound. Yeah, yeah. So Eric was trying to replicate the studio sound as much as possible in the live setting. So. Yeah, yeah. So so the so the PA systems were were moving at the same rate as you right. know the keeping up with the studio technology. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, the guys that were well. The uh, the sound engineer was um, Martin Lawrence. Yes. Yeah. So Mar Martin had um, he was a trainee at Strawberry. He, he his his career sort of built from Strawberry. Uh, he came out on the road with us, so he he was like Eric's protege, if you like. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was it was a learning curve as we went along for everybody. Absolutely. You know, things were coming on in leaps and bounds. Yeah, and. Um... It reminds me, did you feel that there was much of a difference between Strawberry South and Strawberry North in terms of either the feel of the place or, or the sound that you got when you were there? Well, it was very similar, very similar. Um, I, again, I've not really thought about that. Um, no, Strawberry South was, was, was a very interesting place because it was brand new. It was, it was um, being built around us. <laughs> Uh, no, I had a great feel. Both both studios did, and I, I can't remember who um, who designed Strawberry South. Strawberry oh. Strawberry North was, um, I think, the guy was called Tom Hidley, okay. who designed that. It, it was it was a European variant of a, of an American setup. Wasn't this Baz um, uh, somebody we interviewed recently? Uh, Paul uh, Baz, that was when he was talking about Strawberry being designed on. It was the Beach Boys studio, wasn't it? From from the Amer the American American design, I think. Yeah. Okay, right. I remember the name of the company. It was Eastlake. Ah, uh, yes, right. that's right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think the American version was Westlake. Mm. So maybe Westlake designed the Beach Boys studio then. 
Yes, yeah. that. Thanks, Paul. That's exactly what what Baz said. Yeah, that good, fits in. Good stuff. You must have been so proud of of what you'd created with Bloody Tourists. You know, the first, uh, I guess, the first full collaboration between the six of you, and a lovely sounding album. How did yeah. it, How did it feel to put that out? Well, again, I mean, it was always a bit of an unknown quantity. You didn't. Mm. You were. You were never sure how the public were going to react to to you know the the latest tunes i mean always even even now you put something on and it, it it doesn't might not immediately strike home but after a few plays um so diff, different people approached it in a different way some loved it immediately it grew on others but ultimately it was um it was successful and of course, it had the the number one and keynote song, "Dreadlock Holiday," uh, which I think you you played. I'm looking at a list here where it says you played cowbell, congas, marimba, triangle, a go go bells, and timbales on "Dreadlock." So I was I was late getting to the studio. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Stuart did the, uh, the yeah he did the basic track for that. Okay. Right. I remember that day very well because I, I've been playing in the Isle of Man on a on a Sunday with um, I don't know if you remember Brian and Michael. Mm. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Who recorded at Strawberry? Well, I, yeah. I did a couple of albums with them. Okay. And um, I, I did a bit of live work, and, and one of them was in the Isle of Man. So I was coming back from the Isle of Man on, a, on the Monday morning, walking through Manchester Airport, and Graham was walking the other way on his way down to Gatwick right. to start work for the week at, uh, at Strawberry. Right. So I said, I'm going home, I'll, I'll pick my car up, I'll see you this evening. So when I got there, they'd, they'd already put, put down the... Um, the basic track to, to dread our holiday. <laughs> right. But that let you do all those great overdubs, which is actually a lot of the part of the character of the track, those kind of syncopated or dragged fills. Is that you on the... Th- yeah, yeah. Marimbas, yes, um, right from the beginning. That, that was that was me as well. Right, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the first sound you hear on the record, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right. It, ah, what what a thrill to appear on top of the pops with a number one record as well. Fantastic. Yeah, I don't, I don't like revisiting that. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it because of the perm? Could be <laughs> <laughs> the whole tackiness of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you all had perms in those days, so you know, and, and so did all the footballers. So, right? yeah. yeah. And it's um, and what a time! Ten CC had such momentum, didn't it? In '77 and, and '78, it was like a like an unstoppable train. But of course, the train was derailed, 
wasn't it, Paul, unfortunately? We visited the the sad story of, of Eric's accident many times yeah. on the podcast and created a, a very, very different 10cc from that moment, didn't it? Well, yes. I mean, as, as by the time Eric had recovered sufficiently to uh, resume, um, of course, Punk had arrived and it, it was like starting again. Nobody wanted to know. It was um, very difficult. And then, of course, the pressure of trying to find, you know, another hit hit record, um, that all came into play. Sort of reach reached a point where it it, it, it finished. The band finished. I, can't, I think it was probably eight, 80, 81. Well, there was um, in Rick uh, Fenn did a. Uh, I don't know whether you've read Liam Newton's book, the biography of Ten CC, the worst band in the world. But um, Rick recounts from his diary entries. I think there was a meeting in August nineteen eighty, uh, shortly after Look Here when apparently you were sat down and it and you were kind of told to look for other things to do because the band was supposedly breaking up. Of course, it didn't break up that soon, but um, do, do you recall that when, when it looked like it was going to be packed in? Um, I can't remember a meeting. I, I, I can't remember whether it was a meeting or a phone call, but mm. um, yeah, there was a year, a year went by, I think, and then... I got a call from Eric to say that uh, he and Graham were going to do another album. Right. Um, so it, it it sort of started up again. Yeah, and this was presumably 10 out of 10, where, if I've got this right, Graham was recording a lot of the time at Strawberry North and Eric was recording at Strawberry South. They weren't really working together much. And were you working for both of them on the on the basic tracks? Um, yes, and then gradually the others the others came in. I'm right. not sure if Stuart played on it. No, I think uh, he was gone by then. Oh, was he? He was gone by ten out of ten. Yeah. Uh, with some of, of course, uh, Simon Phillips recorded some of ten out of ten as well. He, he so was he on went. Survivor, I think. Oh, that was Simon. that was um, that was Windows in the Jungle. Yeah, but he was on he was on Survivor in on ten out of ten as well, Simon Phillips. Yeah. All oh, right. It must have been um, an interesting time, Paul, to observe what was happening between Eric and Graham. W was it a palpable atmosphere between them? Um, I think it was getting more strained, more strained. Uh, because of the pressure, of course, I'd, I'd worked with Graham during during Eric's recuperation. I worked on a couple of projects with Graham, and then when when Eric was was uh, well enough, I worked on a couple of projects with him as well. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, you played all the drums on Animal Olympics, I think, which I think is a fabulous record. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, that, that was that was a good result, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. 
In fact, is that what you're going to show us there, Sean? Yeah, this tape. This is another of our recent projects, Paul. That's um, right. the, mas the master tape for side two of Animal yeah. Olympics. Uh, uh, we love that record uh, dearly. I think it's a really fabulous record. It's got so much fun in the grooves. Yeah, it must yeah. have been fun to record. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. We did it. We did a couple of different, different. I think Graham did. Um, I'm not sure if he recorded for uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan about the same time. Yeah, or whether that came later. That might have come later. I, I think that was '82. Sorry, I'm eating a biscuit. <laughs> that that was the that was the album recorded in um, Dublin, wasn't it? I think. So that's right, One Mill Lane in Dublin. And yeah. um, I think we did did a little bit of it in Strawberry as well, Strawberry right. North. Okay. You know, Windmill Lane is now the Irish Rock and Roll Museum. I, I went there a couple of years ago. Is it? And uh, and there's actually, I mean, it's not a big part, but it, there's a there's a, a copy of the Gilbert O'Sullivan album up on the wall as one of the albums recorded at the, you know, home of Irish Rock and Roll. So you're in there. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. That was a great album. I lo I love that. But bear with me Just a little bit longer Honey, won't you bear with me I guarantee you Our love will go stronger Bear with me Just a little bit longer Honey, won't you Bear with me Ray was, was uh, well, Gilbert mm. he, he was yeah. a wonderful, wonderful chap Lovely, lovely man Oh great! Yeah, we're big. Great, we're, um, we're big fans too. Oh yeah. yeah, he's a great writer, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Everything in my power to safeguard both our futures. We cannot alone. Gotta have more of you to build a home. Yeah, we were talking about you saying about the tenseness between Eric and, and Graham. You, were they working together at all around the early '80s, Paul, or, or had they? Effectively, completely gone their separate ways. No, they were still they were still writing together. Um, as far as I can remember, I don't think they were they were contributing um, individual tracks. It, it sort of fell apart on the um, the night the, the 1983 tour. We were promoting a new album, and um, which was Windows in the Jungle. Yes, which which I didn't play on at all. I, I thought I was going to, but I got home from a, a tour with Jethro Tull and uh, phoned the studio, and they said, "Oh, yeah, we started yesterday, and mm. we've got Steve Gadd in." Um, yeah, and they were using and they were using your kit as well, weren't they? I've heard. That's right. At that point, yeah. my then wife said, "Oh yes, while you were away, they they came up and took took your kit." Wow! Right, um, which okay. was great. Steve Gadd did an album with my kit. Yeah, bit cheeky though, wasn't it? Nick, nicking your drum kit. Well, and having... well to be to be fair, 
I had the 10 cc kit on the Jethro Toll Tour, so <laughs> right. <laughs> So I couldn't complain. You were, so you were saying on, on the windows in, in the Jungle Tour, things fell apart? Personally, um, they they dropped a few of my favourite tunes to make way for, for new ones, mm. which I didn't feel were particularly great songs. Um, and I don't know what happened, but... Um, I know when it was. It was after a gig in Nottingham. Right. And we went back. We were staying at a, at a hotel by the, by the motorway. And um, something happened that night after the show. I, I don't know what. But the following morning, everything was completely different. Mm-hmm. Eric, Eric wouldn't travel with Graham. Um, he he made the mistake of bringing bringing his grievances onto the stage as well, which you don't do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know things like turning his back on an audience. You know that's the sort of thing Van Morrison does. Mm-hmm. Inexcusable. Mm. Um, and things just went from bad to worse. I, th- I think it was about halfway through the tour, and um, I said to the because as I say it was Eric and Graham who hired four of us. I said to the other three, uh, "This is awful. I, I don't want to do this again." Mm. You know, at the end of the tour, that's it for me. And ev- they all agreed. Everybody was in agreement. You know, this it's 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 gone sour. Yeah. Mm. Um, but at the outset, I was the only one who stuck to my word and left. Right. So, um, in Eric's eyes, I, I was the, the rat who deserted the sinking ship. And when I went, I, I did actually go along to see them uh, on on the tour that they did after after I left. And um, Eric Eric just blanked me completely. Wow. Was the Windows tour the last time that you and Eric worked together? And has there been any thawing in the in the standoff? Have you spoken to him since, Paul? Well, my last gig was in in Denmark. I can't remember the festival. It was near Copenhagen, near near Odense. I can't remember the name of the festival. Right. But that was that was officially my last my last gig. Uh, came home and then the. The office rang and said there was um, uh, a TV thing. I think it was the, the Freddie Star show or something like that. Yeah. And um, asked, would, would I cover that? So that, that was the last time I, I worked with, with Eric. Excuse me, but may I ask you just one question, please, just before we go any further in this program? I've always loved you, lads. <laughs> I've bought all your records. Every one of them. You were the one. (laughs) I'll do the jokes. And I remember he said, oh, sorry, sorry to hear you leaving. You know, that that was pretty much all that was said. You know, I didn't say why. Although I I suppose he suspected. Mm. Um... And then, I, as I say, I saw I saw them on the tour 
they did another tour that year and I, I went along to one of the gigs and Eric sort of blanked me. And then uh, same thing in in the 90s. Yes. I think to remember. Yes, they came back with the Mirror Mirror album, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they toured in 1993. Yeah. Um, Although the last, the last time I saw him, uh, was in um, another. It was a, another Danish festival, um, Skanderborg, yeah, near Aarhus, and I was in Denmark working with some pals of mine, and we had a night off. And our agent said um, he knew I liked uh, Walter Trout, blues guy Walter Trout. Yeah, he said I've got Walter on at this festival. Do you fancy going? So I said that'd be great. So he arranged, you know, for the tickets. And he said, do you know who else is on that festival? Hmm. I said, no, <laughs> 10 CC. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I saw 10 CC as well as Walter Trout. <laughs> yeah. And uh, afterwards, great. Um, Eric was, was, well, I think he'd had a few sherbets. So <laughs> he, um, he, was, he was in a mellow mood. And he, he, was, he was friendly. He was friendly. Okay. So back on each other's Christmas card list. Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> it, yes, it's, it, it's always sad at, from the point of view of, a, of being a 10cc fan, Paul, and we're, as you know, Paul and I are massive fans. That whole saga is, is sad. It's sad to hear about. It's sad to read about. And I think you can hear it in the music as well. Do you, yeah. do you look back on those 80s albums and can you hear that de- decline in the music? Or, or, or do you think the music stands up now? I mean, the, there, are, there are tracks that I love from the later albums. Which ones in particular? That, well, I mean... the like some of the collaborations with Duncan Mackay. You know, I thought he wrote some nice stuff. I can't think of any particular tracks. Um, I'm hopeless at titles anyway. <laughs> but yeah, they, they, they were becoming a bit more, um, not quite as focused, I think. You know, not, not, not so much looking towards um, commercial success, you know, maybe being a bit more... Um, Indulgent, can we say? Yes, but there were some great musical moments. Um, I'm speaking of Duncan, I think he was a co writer of this one. I love the intro to Welcome to the World when it goes into that sort of mad, proggy, weird time yeah. signature played at a furious pace. Um, I mean, that must have been really challenging to uh, not just to record but to play live. Yeah, um, well, I mean, I was in, I was in quite into prog anyway. Yeah, join the club. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, it was all good stuff to play. I loved all that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, wh- whether it was ten cc, well, that's another thing, you know. The direction had definitely changed. 
and it was almost clutching at straws, I guess. Every everything was so much different after Eric's accident. That that was that was defining moment, really. Yes. I mean, what would had he not had the accident, we would have gone to Australia. The equipment was already on its way. Mm. The equipment went, we didn't. Good grief. Had had we done that tour, you know, things would have been on the up and up and up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as soon as the momentum was was taken away, that 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 was it. No coming back. That's right, and and the growing resentment between Eric and and Graham. Well, I mean, Graham, you know, that I, I wouldn't have thought it was resentment um, from Eric to Graham. I'm I'm saying. Oh right, right, yeah, yes. I I don't know how Eric felt about it. I mean. You know, it was through him that it all fell apart. But whether he had he acknowledged that is anybody's guess. Mm. Um, I think Eric's sort of makeup. I think it, well, it goes back years. I had a conversation with Wayne Fontana some years later, and uh, it, it seemed that uh, it was quite a deep-rooted thing. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I, th I think Eric's competitive. I don't know. I don't know. The competitiveness really worked in the early days of 10cc, didn't it? Because the the four of them, even though there were, there were, there were no ego problems, like you said earlier, but the creative competition created but these, that, that these was, wonderful was, sparks, didn't they? Yeah. Yes, I, I suppose you're right, yeah. Um, seeing who could come up with the best idea. Yeah. That that's a diff different sort of competition, really. Now I, th I think more on a personal on a personal level, uh, that that's where it fell apart. Yeah, I mean to put it in perspective, we should be grateful he nearly lost his life, and he could have lost his life at that point, so he didn't, and that and, and that's great. You know, he went on to have a successful, continuous successful career. So that's yeah. yeah. It's, but it could have happened to anybody, you know. Of course, yes. Yeah. Of course, yeah. How am I ever gonna say goodbye? How am I ever gonna go to sleep at night? How am I ever gonna close my eyes? How am I ever gonna sleep alone at night? Earlier on, uh, Paul, you mentioned um, someone that you work with and you recorded a couple of albums with. And I just wanted to share something with you. Again, it's uh, uh, our wonderful friend Dave Jarvis who sent us this. Um, yeah. See if you can shed some light. Uh, I wonder when the last time it was that you heard this. <laughs> Johnny came to my house. He brought a Something there for me, you really I 
Yeah, I, I, I can't remember the last time I heard it. <laughs> Ring any bells? <laughs> I think I think Martin Lawrence might have engin- uh, engineered that. Yeah, it said on the on the video, didn't it? Nineteen seventy nine, Strawberry North. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it was a single. Been, it might have been Martin. I'm not sure. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And that's so. Uh, it was after Martin or Richard Scott. Okay, right. so uh, th- that was Kevin Parrott and it was, yeah, a- and you playing playing drums. Anyone else involved in that session? Well, it was it was Brian and Michael. So it was um, Mick Coleman. I'm not sure which album that was taken from because I did I did a couple I did a couple with them. Sure, it might, might that might have been the second one. The album was. We can count our friends on one hand. Was that the second one? I, I think that was the second one. I think it must have been because Matchstalk Men would have been the first one, right? And that was that was seventy eight, wasn't it? So I guess it was. Was it? Right. Think so. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, I would I would suspect uh, Vic Emerson might have been involved in it. Right. Right. Um, may, maybe. Uh, Des Tong on bass. Uh, I can't. I can't really, really recall. I mean, when when we went out and and did live gigs, uh, Mike Timoney um, was on keyboards. So so maybe he was he was on the. Uh, yes, he would have been on the record. I'm sure. Sure, sure, right. sure. And that's Mike the name Timoney, we know. Mike from Timoney had also worked with um, Ten CC's uh, predecessor, which was. Um, Hot legs. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say he's on. I recognise the name. He's on the sleeve of of the, uh, the Hot Legs album. Yeah, yeah. Lots of, lots they, of connections. That was basically um, Hot Legs was basically Eric, Kevin, Lowell. Yeah, I think Graham was the um, he was the uh, the hired gun, and uh, Mike Timoney and Mick Gilborn on on drums. Mm-hmm. Who I'm actually going to meet for lunch? Oh, oh wow! Oh well, say hi to him. Yes, yeah, send, yeah, send it, our regards. Yeah, I think Mick was uh, interviewed. It's always people like us after people like you. I think he was interviewed <laughs> by Peter Wadsworth a little while ago for for his you know for because he's um, Peter Wadsworth is writing a book with Peter Tattersall, I think. Um, so that's where that that comes in. But um, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, to get back to the uh, Brian and Michael thing, uh, it was probably Mike Timoney, I would say, on keys. Okay. Sure, sure. Not not Vic Emerson. Okay, got you. I've got a couple of more brief treats here for you. I wonder if this is one of the earliest, <clears throat> the, the earliest glimpses, Paul, that we have of you working in the studio with 10CC. This is the demo for what turned out to be Hot to Trot. Check this out. Yeah, some some lovely lovely groove going on there. Yeah, that was a B side, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. 
Definitely uh, Graham playing the guitar. Decide to Dreadlock Holiday. Well, there uh, you're testing our trivia knowledge no, there. It, no, it was before. It was the B-side to... Things We Do? One of the... Yeah, it was one of the deceptive... Was that I'm So Laid Back, I'm Laid Out? Or, I think it was the B-side to Good Morning Judge, but I do stand to be corrected. Yeah. I do stand to be corrected. It yeah. was an early one. It yeah. Was, so that, that might be you <laughs> and Graham laying down the basic track for it? I really don't know. Mm. It might It might have been guitar and drums. Mm. Yes, that was. I think it was, that was Graham just playing some rhythm guitar parts. But uh, I love it. I love the fills. I love I love the funkiness in the playing. Some great guitar yeah. licks going on. Yeah, it's funny because there's some little things I was putting in there, which was which came from uh, there's a drummer called Bernard Purdy. Oh yeah, we know him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was, well, he he sort of pioneered that hi hat bark, if you like. You know, that right. Sh- sh- and they used to play that quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, right, and the, and the shuffle, the, the the Purdy shuffle, isn't it? Which was like on um... Steely Dan. But they weren't sure how and what they wanted, but they did want halftime. I said, fine, then let me do the Purdy shuffle. And they said, well, what is that? I said, well, I'll show you where you can feel comfortable with it, and you'll end up getting exactly what you asked for, halftime funky, laid back, without thinking that it's a shuffle. And it goes something like this. Yes, and also um, Jeff Picaro, um took it as his basis for um rosanna yeah that's the that's the thing that's impossible i mean i'm a drummer but very much a beginner and uh, one of my friends who is a good drummer has tried to show me and i you know i cannot do anything close to that but mm-hmm. I, I i love watching people do the purdy shuffle or the rosanna shuffle because it's a beautiful thing to watch and hear but i can't do it <laughs> <laughs> yes I, pl- I play it a lot but oh, Bernard, wow. Bernard Purdy changed my my whole life when I first right. heard him. 1971, I think it was, King Curtis live at the Fillmore. Oh, he played with him. Uh, right. It was a, a, a great turning point for me. Wow. This has been wonderful, Paul. I hope you don't feel like we've bombarded you with questions today. No, no. It's in, it's interesting because I, I was contacted recently by some chap out of the blue asking about a band I played with in the early 70s, uh, just trying to glean information about them. In my reply, I mentioned a couple of other bands which sort of led to the one he was asking about. Mm. And then, of course, he was coming back at me with more questions, and it was it was really um, getting the memory banks going, and it, it made me question some of the uh, the timelines that I I was mistaken about for for quite a while. Yes. So it was interesting. It's uh, yeah, it's good. Good. I hope we've not screwed up your timelines today. Oh.
you know Carol, Jason, don't you, Paul? We're yes. We're we're talking to. We've already done two fascinating episodes with her because she's got all these acetates from the sixties, and you know she worked with Graham and Harvey back in nineteen sixty-seven. So we're talking with her on Tuesday. I've taken on um, a New Year's Eve gig with Carol. Yes, I know. She's she's thrilled that you're going to be there. In fact, it's very near. I live in Chorlton, and she was trying to get me to go to it. It's in Fallowfield, I think. But I can't go. I can't go because I'm going to a, a party. But. Um, you know, um, you know, good luck with it and everything. We just wanted to say, Paul, thanks so much. It's been absolutely fascinating. Fingers crossed that um, that your gigs early next year can go ahead i so hope yeah. so from a selfish point of view coming to see you in leicester in february so right um let's um you know let's pray that everything kind of settles down right you, yeah. you said you you said you had a, a gig what what uh, what name do you go under um well we're, the gig we don't have a band name but the gig is called 50 cc it was a fairly obvious uh, fairly obvious right. title and that's going to be in stockport in june um, the garrick at at the Garrick Theatre had to be in Stockport, of course. Right. So, yeah, uh, yeah. We've we've hired the Garrick for two nights, and yeah, ah, yeah. Now that's interesting because a friend of mine sent me a um, a message yesterday saying this old friend of his had heard that Ten CC were doing five nights at the Garrick in Stockport. Oh God, that, really? that is not. Yeah, no, that is not the correct. Uh, no. no, we've been very careful. We've labelled it as a tribute to, you know. Yes, right. absolutely. But uh, we're, we're so excited. Yes, we're going to do the hits, Paul, but we're also going to do some real deep dives, um, some stuff that um, has never been played live before, some of Kevin and Lowell's uh, solo right. stuff. We're going to do bits of Consequences uh, and we're going to do some, some proper 10cc album classics as well, things like... We're hoping to do. Wait, we don't give, give away too many secrets, but um, you remember that wonderful track that you and Graham recorded early '80s? I'm lazy. I think Graham played it to you recently. He did. Yeah. Um, Cracking tune. I didn't recall it, but um, and I don't even know if it was me, but it, the likelihood is that it was. Yeah, yes. that's what we thought. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, we we love the tune. Uh, and, and we we might, if if all goes well in rehearsal, give it its uh, its live debut. Yeah, right. Oh, keep me posted on that. Thank well, you. We will. We will, Paul. Yeah, there'll, there'll be at least one of the nights I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> Great, fantastic, fantastic. But Paul, bless you for this, and um, lovely to meet you. See ya. Bye. See ya. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. 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 been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening